Hi, it's Angela Poon from Strive Stronger and welcome to the Strive Stronger podcast, bite-sized edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. In this bite-sized podcast from episode number four, Dr. Susie Green talks about the stigma around psychologists and mental skills in older generations and how younger generations are being trained to use their brain to their advantage. She also talks about teaching mental skills to children and how receptive they are, especially from earlier ages, which I can attest to through witnessing the development of my daughter. I love that even at a young age, I can see her growth and her resilience. And although she's only six, she's learning how to manage her negative self-talk. Just the other day, we were in the city for Vivid Darling Harbour and there's this circular fountain and anyone growing up in Sydney knows this fountain well. We've all done the thing where you walk up and down this fountain on the ridges trying not to fall over. So Aurelia was stepping on these ridges and she was holding out her arms trying to balance and not get wet and I overhear her saying, I'm not good at this. And I wanted to jump in and say, you're still practicing but without any prompting from me, she actually self-corrects and she says, I'm not used to this yet, that magic word yet. And I can't tell you how proud I was of her at that moment, even though it seemed so very small. We know there's been some stigma associated with psychology full stop. When I first went in to do exec coaching in about 2004, they'd asked me not to tell people that I was a psychologist, you know, just to say you're a coach. And in same in presenting, I was told, oh, don't tell them that you're a clinical psychologist because people will think there's something wrong with them. Because it would come um, from that deficit model, what's wrong, rather than a skills model, what we can train and improve. Ex- exactly. And and over the years when I've presented in you know, quite large uh, companies, it's, it's actually the younger people generally have been exposed to it through their schooling because it is, as you know, s- slowly entering education more broadly, uh, they're just more open to particularly skills like mindfulness, mindfulness training. They've read more of these types of books. And then you see some of the older ones. And as soon as they see that the younger ones are doing it, it's like, oh, oh, well, maybe there's something in that. Maybe there is a competitive edge. And, you know, then, then they'll be more open to it. But I just think perhaps it is a generational thing and, you know, and there was stigma associated to it. But I do believe that it's changing. Well, I see in the workforce now there's much, much more discussion around mental health and not just mental health is mental illness, the full Corey Keyes model of, you know, from stress, anxiety, depression to to flourishing. So let's hope it is catching up. And one way to catch up is to do training at a younger age. Now I've got a book in front of me, Susie. I heard you recently were on a forum together and you said there's three great books and you didn't mention (laughs) this one. This is yours, The Positivity Prescription. One of the things I love that you do is you spend a percentage of your time with school kids. Yes. And I think if we look at education and the, 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 the fertile brain, open, that, that beautiful Buddhist word of Shoshin or the beginner's mind, getting it in kids is fantastic. But you started working with your dad in his 60s or 70s, so you can yes. teach an old dog new yes. tricks with respect to your dad. But yes. what, what are you doing with kids and what's your vision in school? Because I remember some useless stuff from maths. I know volume equals four thirds pi r cubed. Yeah. That, <laughs> wow, that, that's pretty impressive. Impressive. <laughs> but it doesn't help me regulate my stress when I went through a marriage breakdown and imploded. And and I shout out, I rang you, remember, because it was 18 months after 
uh, a marriage had broken up and I had the words marriage failure and, and I, I couldn't reset. Like my schema was I'd been the performance guy and you introduced yeah. me to a wonderful woman who's given me permission to mention her in public forums, Jill McNaught, because I wrote yeah. about her in my book. Wonderful. And I met Jill and just straight away she had this beautiful blend and she gave me an analogy that all the models and schemas I had, I knew what to do when it was going well. And I said to Jill, it's like I'm in a car park driving around B1. I can see the off-ramp to get up to ground yeah, level. But every time I go past it, the car detours the other way because I was just so narrow or myopic in my view because of the burden I had put on myself thinking I was a failure. So I yeah. didn't learn that as a kid. What do you think kids need so they bounce back differently? Yeah, well, these basic mindset skills, like, you know, why wouldn't you teach these basic mindset skills to children? And that was my epiphany when I first started as a psychologist. My children were in primary school and I thought, why aren't my children learning the skills that I'm learning now? I was in my late 20s and that was a big aha for me, which has led me to move more into the proactive space rather than waiting until people are unwell, then teaching them these mindset skills. Why don't we get them out into schools, into workplaces, into our communities. So that's, I mean, that's my mission. And I've been doing this long enough now to see that it changes people's lives. It changed my life when I realised that I didn't have to be a victim to the stories that I was telling myself, you know, in my own head. So it's not easy. It's not easy. It, it is exactly as you said, it takes work because you're building up new neural pathways. And so the, I guess the older you get, the longer those neural pathways are like well-worn paths. So the kids generally you know, embrace this really easily and quickly. And, and again, the beauty of, uh, I guess, a system is the more uh, people that are doing it at the same time, you, you know, you can challenge if you have an wickle in the ants, the automatic negative thoughts, the kids love that idea. They can say, oh, I think that was an ant. And then the other kids can help them, you know, have a different way of thinking about the situation. So imagine learning those skills at school or even before you've got them for the rest of your life. So is anyone who's listening to this who is a specialist in change or transformation will know that to get the language in, that's when you've made the change. And, and the in, the I is to integrate yeah. the language and N is to normalise it. And, and that's really what I think we need to do with this specific to optimism. And look, it may not prevent or, you know, all episodes of mental illness. But I think, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you teach these skills right now? So I'm listening to this and I'm uh, multitasking because everyone does when they listen to podcasts. You know, they might be walking to work on a train. They might be flying. They might be mowing the lawn, making a dish, whatever. They might be sitting at work in the office on a Teams meeting and they've got their headphones in listening to Dr. Susie Green. How would someone start? Give us a roadmap on, on, on some specific skills. Can we get quite granular? What would that look like as a practice? For yeah. someone who's listening going, yeah, yeah, I, I get this. What do I do, Susie? How do I start training this muscle? Yeah, I think just to, to normalise it, um, most of us, depending on the situations that we face, will have you know, ants, these automatic negative thoughts. We all have them. But if you're particularly you know, stressed, going through some stressful situations, it's, it's important to normalise. It may not be, you know, it's not a clinical issue, um, but you can, as we said before, you can get better at being aware of them and being curious and asking yourself, is this really helpful? Is there a better way to think about this that might help me feel a little bit better? Um, there's, a, there's a whole range of approaches there, but I think particularly for people that are going, wow, I, this is me, you know, perhaps I do come from a family of pessimists. It's something I've struggled with. 
I would highly recommend that you get professional help because I can recommend some books, which I'm happy to do today. There's some great self-help books out there on particularly cognitive behavioural therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy, which are two of the primary types of approaches for working with our our mindsets. Um, But the power of having particularly a, a, you know, a strong, we'd call it working alliance with a therapist or, you know, in some cases it might be a coach. Um, you may not necessarily be a therapist. You might be able to work with a psychological coach. Uh, it can it can fast track, you know, your understanding, your contextualisation of these skills to your life and help you to make changes a lot more quickly, I would say, is to seek professional assistance. One of the things that really helped me, I can't remember whether this was you, I think it may have been a little bit before when I was at an athletics uh, coaching conference, but we're talking about that inbuilt negativity bias that humans have. And I heard, it was, it was at a a track and field conference in Melbourne. I heard a psychologist talk about that, that, can you pick up on that? Just how we are wired to look at what goes wrong. And that, that helped me actually with a lot of my personal training clients back then to understand Okay, so if we've got that wiring, we actually need to work against that because that threat response doesn't need to go off like it did in the old days. Exactly, yeah. So the negativity bias, we all have it. It's just a phenomenon where we pay more attention to what could go wrong or potentially what could kill us. So it's a bit of a leftover. Um, And for some of us, we have stronger negativity or pessimistic biases than others. But you do have to, as you said, work extra hard at training your attention to focus on the things that are going well um, or the good stuff in life. And so that, again, is something that you could start with your children. For those listening, a lot of people that I work with start as a family practice around the dinner table every night. Or I know when I used to pick my kids up from school, they'd roll their eyes because they knew I was going to say, well, what went well today at school? Now, that didn't mean I didn't also ask whether any problems or challenges, but you're really trying to retrain or rewire the brain to focus on the good stuff as well as attending to the bad stuff. It's not a black or white, and so many people like to put things into the black and white you know, camps rather than saying that this is much more nuanced and there's nothing wrong with validating the, the awful stuff that's happening in the world. But, in fact, the research clearly shows that we need to be engaging in optimism. Any other positivity practice that's going to boost our positive emotional state because that positive emotional state allows us to seek solutions, find solutions to the complex world problems. It affects our immune functioning. So we need positivity. You live longer. I think if that hasn't got everyone excited. And and also research I've seen, you earn more money and have a more rewarding, not just achievement fueled, picking the trophies and the Todd Cashdown talks about the goods life versus the good life, the goods life, power, money, kudos, success, good life, pleasure, meaning and purpose. That's right. Optimism as a strength or you train optimism, you you can enjoy both. So why wouldn't you people? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, so uh, it is a skill and um, you can learn it. And so, yeah, so if it's something that uh, it's resonating with you and uh, but I think if you've never learned any of these basic mindset skills, they're going to help you in so many, as we said, areas of your life. We we do it with our 
with in our family. But at the <laughs> dinner table every night, we'll say, you know, what was the best bit of your day? Right. And we started this when Archie was about four or five. Well, at that stage, I was a single dad and you know, I'd been putting a lot of these skills together, a lot of the stuff I learned from you and, and Jill helped me re-put the framework together that you know, a dip or a challenge, rather than looking at it as failure, you can grow from it. But when you're stuck in there, you just hear blah, blah, blah. And I thought, this is so powerful. I want the kids to be introduced to this. So we started doing gratitude. And Archie was four, nearly five, and I can't believe he had the wisdom back then. And he said, Dad, that we do the best bits. Can we also do the not best bits? And I was like, well, yeah, sure, mate. Why would you want to do that? You know, studied exercise physiology, got a degree in coaching psychology. I've worked with like you, you know, hundreds of executives. You've got your four-year-old schooling you. Well, why do you want to do that, Arch? So, well, Dad, sometimes when you do the not best bit, it makes the best bits better. Oh, that's very wise, wise child so we do uh what were the best bits of your day and what were the not best bits and yeah. sometimes what did you so learn good. so it's, it's beautiful and you can just some nights have a conversation around that with everyone for half an hour and it's a beautiful dialogue exactly and i don't know if i shared this story with you but my son um when he was only uh, in primary school, had uh, been competing in a race, long distance race, and had come, I think, second one year, fourth the next year because he'd gone, he'd won, but the teacher thought he needed to do another lap. So he ended up coming fourth. Um, And then the next year he said, oh, I don't think I can win. And I said, not that it's about winning, Sid, but um, I said, you know, do you want me to teach you a little bit about your mindset? So I taught him some basic CBT to catch his you know, his ants, his automatic negative thoughts. And anyway, the, the story is he won the race, Andrew. And so when I said to him, I said, that's so good. So the CBT really worked. He goes, no, mom. He said it was the bowl of carbs I had for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Andrew. And we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Stride Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice, focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com where you can explore the books I have written including MatchFit, which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite. Or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy that starts in July. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, The AM Edition.